0: Welcome back to Murder, Lies and Everything in Between, a true crime podcast with me, Jess, and my husband, Attie. Hi, guys. Hope everyone's had a really, really nice weekend. We've had a really, really nice kind of chill day. Um, We've worked the last two weeks in a row, haven't we, Atty, without a day off. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: nice just not to do nothing, stay at home and relax.
0: 100%. Today, we're going to be talking about um, the Kathy case. So, this was kind of... um, it was in the media quite a lot, I would say, um, and the reason for that is, is because Piers Morgan actually did an episode on TV about this case, and Doctor Phil. Is he that um... coloured fella? No. <laughs> no, I don't know
1: who Doctor Phil is. He's white, thinking... oh, the old, oh, the old geezer. Yeah, yeah, I have. I have seen. I'm thinking of somebody else then. Yeah.
0: yeah, um, he's yeah. So they both did um an episode with her. So th- she probably is quite well known for those things. Um, I did watch a couple of kind of um, documentaries on her and quite a few interviews, and they're quite scary. She's actually quite a scary woman, this person is. So today we're going to be jumping, as I said, into talking about the 16-year-old Erin Caffey and the decision she basically made leading up to the events of the 1st of March, 2008. This will be one of those episodes where... I will encourage you to kind of really make your own mind up on what you think happened. I know, Atty, you don't need any encouragement on having your own opinion on thinking about what you think happened. But I want you to all have kind of an open mind and have a real think about what you think happened really in this case. Right, okay. Okay, so it's going to be one of those. It's going to make your mind think. So do you think that she was kind of the real mastermind behind it all that ultimately led to four families being torn apart? Or was she not? Was she led along down the garden path along with the group of people? This is what I will ask you to think about over the next kind of hour or so. Terry and Penny Caffey met at a revival meeting when Terry was 24 and Penny was 21. Their firm religious beliefs kind of drawing them together and they soon actually got married on the 3rd of November 1990. They did kind of get married quite fast after they met. They didn't hang around starting a family and just a year later Erin was born on the 27th of July 1991. Matthew was born three years later on the 8th of June, 1994. And Tyler followed five years later on the 18th of April, 1999. So they had two boys and one girl. Right. There was an age gap between a lot of them, the youngest and Aaron. There was quite a chunk of an age gap, to be honest, mean, good like eight years. So quite a good age gap, I would say, for parents of like that age. They were quite young when they had a family. The family were dedicated to the church. Their lives revolved around their faith, absolutely dedicated to their beliefs. They were through and through Baptists, okay? The family attended the Miracle Faith Church in Emory, Texas, where Terry and Penny were both youth ministers, They would dedicate hours and hours to Bible study every Wednesday. They attended church every Sunday and committed hours and hours to practicing gospel songs with Aaron leading on vocals, Penny playing the piano, Matthew on bass guitar or harmonica and Tyler playing the guitar. So they were quite a musical family. Terry worked as a delivery driver supplying medical equipment and he was kind of also preparing to become become ordained to become a Baptist minister. So he was working quite hard at this point to do that. Penny had also kind of worked as a driver for a charity that delivered food to elderly people outside of her role in a band called the Gaston Singers. And they would perform at churches. So, as I said, they were very, very kind of musical and very heavily kind of embedded into the church that they frequented. Aaron was around 13 years old when the family moved from Celeste, Texas to Alba, Texas. And this was about an hour away from each other. And they did this actually to move closer to the church. So it showed just how much the church actually meant to them. They would purposefully move just for that.
1: So they're heavy religious.
0: A hundred percent so, yeah. This was embedded completely into every single thing that they did in their lives. That's the gist I get from everything that I've read and listened to. She had just hit her teenage years, and this is the kind of time, as you know, where you start to kind of experiment with your style, your friends. We all know what that's like. You know, you meet new people, you're kind of... You're settling into friendship groups. that You're, you're finding your feet kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you're finding yourself. Yeah, 100% so, yeah. So they took this opportunity to enrol the kids into public school, hoping that this would enrich all their childhoods. Erin was placed into range junior high, and Matthew and Tyler would be placed into Reign's elementary school, because obviously there was a big chunk of age gap between them. Unfortunately, this didn't go as planned, after a girl was actually seen trying to make an advance on Erin in the school's corridor, trying to kiss her. This incident really upset Terry and Penny. As you can imagine, they weren't up for this in the slightest. They were not happy with this. Erin was pretty blonde. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, small and petite. Typical classification as beautiful kind of thing. This is what she looked like. So it wasn't a surprise that people were interested in her and she got attention and she enjoyed it. She did like it like any 13, 14 yeah, year old yeah. girl would. Yeah. So her pastor, Tom McGee even said once that if he had five more of girls that looked like her, he could fill his church on Sundays. <laughs> you can imagine that would probably bring in a lot of young boys. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny when I read that, for a pastor to make that comment. So just one month in the academic year, all three kids were actually pulled out of public school, and Penny began a Bible-based curriculum, homeschooling all three of them. So she'd been struggling to kind of try and keep up with the pace of learning. So I think Penny and Terry both just hoped that with this extra one-to-one kind of tutoring, that... Maybe she could kind of start to catch up yeah. to her peers, hopefully. I can only imagine that getting her education away from kind of a usual environment, away from kids her own age, so that she can socialize with them, to integrate with them, must have given her kind of even more of a want to latch onto friends that she met around town. I mean, if she's only around people that her parents essentially and her family when she does meet people that she likes and she gets on with, she's going to want to be around them. More. Do, yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't want to spend, even though you might love your family, you don't want to spend 24 seven with your family. You don't want to do that. I mean, look at what COVID and isolation did to everybody. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the most healthiest of environments to be suffocated into that environment with. And I'm not saying that her family suffocated her, but Being in that environment all the time, not really having any outside influence, I think sometimes can can be quite suffocating. The Café's Wooden Cabin sat six miles away from the town of Alba in a heavily wooded area with a one road in and one road out gravel road. So super, super isolated. At the time, the area only had 492 residents in the community so that should give you an, an idea of how isolating the location actually was just a small place really small place yeah so not only was she homeschooled would go to the church all those kind of things she also location wise she was isolated she was in the middle of nowhere so i i personally don't know what that's like but i had a friend that i grew up with and she lived essentially in the middle of nowhere and i saw how it affected her and it it can be quite hard at that age to live in the middle of nowhere with no readily access out yeah kind of thing the reason i'm putting so much of this information out is because i would imagine that being in that position at her age i would also be ecstatic when i did make friends who lived kind of near me and I probably want to spend as much time with them as possible, you know. And then if you add boys into this equation at that age, hormones running wild. Yeah, of course, yeah.
1: 13, 14 years old, aren't they?
0: Yeah. You know, I would think that that want for her to be around people would be even more extreme, you know, if you if you put that all into context. So for the next three years, Erin lived a really, really sheltered life. Not really stepping outside of her schooling and the family commitments to the church. But that all changed when she hit 16. She got her driver's license and she got an old pickup truck. No one could hold her back. She could go out. She could socialize. She wasn't restricted to only staying at home anymore. She could do what she wants now. Yeah, she got way more freedom. (laughs) We know what that's like when you pass your test. Well, I know what it's like when you pass your test. You know, you can you can go out, you can have that freedom, you can go where you want, when you want. It's so freeing. It is really, really freeing. So being an isolated 16-year-old girl, I can imagine how much even more emphasis would be put on that. Erin started seeing a boy who also attended the church that she attended. He met her parents. He'd kind of visited the home multiple occasions. But... On one particular day, they were witnessed by the youth director kissing and with his hand under her top on some benches at the back of the church. So not really the kind of behaviour you want to be kind of witnessing at a church, especially with the youth director around. Of course, this kind of got straight back to her parents and they very, very quickly pulled them apart, demanding that they never see each other again. And it was over. They were done. They weren't having this. You know, they were totally, totally embarrassed by what was going on and they were adamant that there was no way in hell this was going to happen again. So this wasn't the impression they basically wanted to give out of their family. Erin wasn't obviously happy about this, about the abrupt ending to this fling that she had, as she vocalised this to him repeatedly. But he seemed to kind of take the, I say in air quotes, relationship. It was a fling, you know, it is what it is. He took it better than her and he just kind of moved on. She must have kind of harboured this annoyance because she did kind of use this later on. She soon actually got a job at a Sonic as a car hop. A Sonic is basically like a drive-through fast food place.
1: Right.
0: Okay. From what? From, from McDonald's. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not sure. T- tell me if I'm wrong, guys, because we don't have Sonic. Um, but they, I don't think you can sit inside. I think it's like you park outside, right, okay. and then they bring their food oh, to right, you. Okay, right. So she was a car hop. So she would. Ride out on um, skates oh, and yeah, take you to you. Yeah, we don't have anything yeah, don't cool like that, that here in the that. UK. Well,
1: people bring our food out to us. It's not by skates.
0: No, not by skates. Okay. No, definitely well, not. That's a requirement
1: when you go to an interview. <laughs> skate. You know, nah, sorry, no job for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just I think it was great. You know, she she got loads of attention, obviously, with the admirers of her kind of ensuring that they parked on the side where she was delivering so that they could kind of see her. And apparently she was the only one that would go out and roller skates. Nobody else could. It was only her. So there was even more emphasis because she was the only one that did it. You know, she's a petite, small, pretty, blonde, 16-year-old. There was way more emphasis on her, you know. She got a lot of attention. And a co-worker actually quoted saying... She was so sheltered. It was like she was seeing the world for the first time. She gushed innocence. A lot of guys flirted with her and she would just blush and smile, duck her head down and skate inside and tell me, that guy wanted my number. And I'd say, did you tell him that your mum would be answering the phone? (laughs) Could you imagine that at that age? It's just hilarious. Could you imagine a guy calling her house (laughs) to Penny or Terry? (laughs) So whilst on shift, she actually met an 18-year-old called Charlie Wilkinson. He was soon to be a senior in high school. He was described as kind of a bit rough and tumble, not very polished, blue eyes and sandy brown hair. He had not long returned from boot camp with the Texas National Guard in Oklahoma, and he was actually planning to join active duty once he graduated. So that was his plan. He wanted to go into the forces after he graduated. He was nearly always wearing Wranglers, cowboy boots, and an oversized cowboy hat. When I read that, the vision I had in my head. <laughs> so, he lived with his dad and his stepmom in the country, along with his brothers and his sisters. They enjoyed hunting and spent most of his time fishing and tracking wild hogs. Of course, firearms come along with that. You know, he knew his way around them and he knew how to handle them prof- proficiently. So if you were to take out the fact that he'd already gone on training, he knew extra because, you know, Texas, there's a big... It's a big gun thing, yeah, you know? A lot, a lot of, of... The majority of the population in Texas are pro-guns. Yeah. So it's not surprising that an 18-year-old lad who hunts and fishes knows how to knows his way around firearms. Charlie was, though, known as a bit of a hothead... But he hadn't had any arrests and he didn't really have any disciplinary issues in school either. Apart from a couple of moments where he lost his temper in school, people would wind him up and they would get a reaction and kind of just walk out of class. So what a lot of us have probably had... You know, we've all probably not maybe walked out of lesson, but people winding us up to get a reaction out oh, of yeah. us. You know, I don't I don't know if I'd class that as a hothead or just you growing up and maturing. I think we've all got well, most of us, I'm not gonna say everybody, but a lot of people have gone through that phase, no matter how short, where people people push your buttons and you snap.
1: Oh, we get that now.
0: Yeah. I don't think you can be judged on that for the rest of your life. No. I don't think that's a fair representation. So throughout the autumn of 2007, Charlie would actively visit Sonic just to see Eren until he finally worked up the courage to ask her out. She did instantly accept as soon as he asked her out. They very quickly became enamored with each other. And a friend of Charlie's actually commented saying that he was totally in love with her. He considered her his soulmate. Charlie talked about Aaron 24-7. That's standard for that kind of age, isn't it? Penny and Terry knew about Charlie and they allowed them to date, but only chaperoned, so they could not be alone. Someone had to be there with them at all times. Most afternoons, he would stop by to see Erin while she was on her break. Evenings, he would spend time at the cafe home until about 9pm. That's when they would kind of go, go on home, Charlie, you're not here anymore. And then when he got home, he would then call the cafe home to speak to Erin until her 10pm phone curfew. Right. They're always talking to each other. Yeah.
1: Well, fair enough. We, you're young. we all At done that, not we? You yeah. know what I mean? At age 16, bloody hell, I think we were all talking to each, texting,
0: of course. ringing, do you know
1: what yeah. I mean? It's so, a
0: normal thing, I think, for that age. I think it's a
1: normal thing now, even when you first get with someone, yeah. is You're always constantly talking, you know, blah, 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 yeah. you know?
0: You want to be with them. You want to speak to them. You like I them. Know,
1: when you ring me, I'm like, oh, God, is it over again? <laughs> oh my lord help me says you if
0: i don't call you on my break at work if i don't call you you call me and go oh I don't want to speak to me now i don't know what i'm just saying you
1: know why is it always me that's got to ring you to make sure how your day's going why can't you ring me be nice if you picked yeah. up the phone when well, your finger's broken
0: i'm busy i'm at work oh, busy.
1: you're entitled to a break you can still ring me you can
0: text see guys who sounds needy now i'm just saying the
1: facts you know what i mean Or you ring me and go, oh, you haven't called me today. Why haven't you called me? (laughs) Oh, maybe I'm busy.
0: (laughs) So Charlie did attempt to kind of fit in with the family. He started attending Miracle Faith Baptist Church with them. I'm sure kind of he wasn't just doing this because of a newfound belief. You know, this was obviously because he also wanted to spend more time with Aaron. That's fair enough. Obviously, yeah. He did, though. What I will say is, is that he he must have had some faith because stuff stuff that he said later on after this would encourage me to think that he may have had a, a small belief, but he did have some kind of religious belief. Aaron managed to convince her parents to let her re-enroll back in high school as a freshman in December of 2007. I'm sure the fact that her brothers had already been allowed to go back to public school had something to kind of do with it. The only reason the boys, they were allowed to go back was because Matthew, her brother, um, he actually said that he missed his friends at school and he wanted to go back. So Penny and Terry allowed him to go back, but they kind of kept Aaron back a little bit right. until she did kind of get them to do it. Penny and Terry, though, needed the extra income into the home. So it was kind of a great time for them to all go back to school. So she had some extra time freed up. I i don't know what homeschooling is like because I, I've only known one person, one of our best friends, that was homeschooled. Oh, yes. Yeah, but I can imagine how time-consuming it must be because you don't have that time where the kids are at school and you can do stuff around the house if you're like a stay-at-home mum or dad. And if you're working, you definitely don't have that time. So I can imagine how time-consuming it must be. So Penny must have been really grateful to have a little bit more of that time back to herself to be able to do what she needed to kind of do. Yeah. Now with Aaron being at the same school as Charlie, where he was a senior, they would be allowed to spend the majority of their time together, even sneaking off to her car to go and kind of like fall around and mess around.
1: Well, we all know what that means.
0: Yeah i'm not gonna laugh because this girl was 16 at this age she is underage and actually i don't know i don't know in texas i don't know the the law in texas okay. let us know guys i don't know uh we might actually be able to look it up quickly i'm actually going to look it up one second so we've just had a look and it's 17 so the legal age of consent is 17 as of now um so she was underage at this point So I can't imagine... Who
1: doesn't have sex underage, really?
0: Yes, but I can't imagine her parents being very happy to find out about that, if they found out about that. What
1: parent is happy anyway about (laughs) that? Regardless how old you are, do you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I understand that. Penny and Terry actually started to gain kind of a little bit of trust for them now. They kind of earned a little bit of trust with them. And he did start allowing them to occasionally go out for dinner alone. But instead of doing just that, they'd sneak off to a friend's house. And as you can imagine, teenagers of this age, they only had one thing on their mind. Just after Christmas, this is when they eventually had sex for the first time. Charlie was absolutely besotted with Aaron. And soon after, he gave her his grandmother's engagement ring as a promise to her whilst down on one knee at the side of the road.
1: Oh, she's full of romantic, isn't he?
0: I knew you were going to have something to say about that.
1: <laughs> you know how I think about young love.
0: I know. <laughs> just a few days he's later. He's pussy
1: whipped, I just realised. <laughs> <laughs> he got some poody tang, and now that's it. Oh, I've got to put a ring on that finger. Oh, mate.
0: Oh, God.
1: There's more out there, mate, all right? <laughs> Not just one.
0: Just a few days later, this ring was actually spotted on her finger by her mum whilst they were at a church function. Obviously not happy about it. She demanded that she give it back to Charlie. Terry stormed outside, pulling Charlie aside, who was playing games outside at the time, telling him, quote, this is totally inappropriate. You're promising yourself to my daughter. Do you realise she is 16 years old? And Charlie just kind of shrugged it off. Didn't, How didn- old is Charlie now? 18. Right. This just confirmed Terry's original feelings about Charlie. He hadn't liked him from the first day he met him when he didn't get out of his chair to shake his hand, which, by the way, is the worst thing you could probably do. First time you're meeting your girlfriend's dad, stand up and shake the hand. Have that little bit of respect for them, you know? He would tell Penny he didn't like Charlie if he can't even show him respect, how does he treat their daughter? Which I totally agree with. I mean, I can see his point of view on that one. Penny and Terry started to restrict their time together and now they were only allowed to see each other once a week with someone present. So there were chaperoned visits again. Right. In early February 2008, Penny overheard Erin laughing when she should be on phone curfew. So doing what any mother does, went and checked on her and she'd seen that she'd actually snuck her phone into the room to talk to Charlie. This was when Terry and Penny both grounded her. They took her phone away, took her car away, and her mum and dad literally drove her backwards and forwards for school for weeks. So every any bit of freedom that she did have was now completely obliterated. She had no freedom again. She was back to square one.
1: It's a bit of a harsh punishment, isn't it?
0: It's a very harsh punishment. Yeah, to take I can understand the phone, but take the phone and the car and Maybe a little bit harsh, but we're not parents, so we don't know what it's like.
1: Why she did anything bad? Well, she, you know, in my eyes, I don't think she did anything, it wasn't
0: anything extreme, no,
1: yeah, you know, she went over her phone curfew hour and maybe take the phone away, yeah, but to take her her car away and like literally restrict her to nothing, yeah, yeah, it just,
0: yeah. During this time, Erin was becoming more and more restless. I can understand that
1: because she's horny. (laughs)
0: <laughs> her, her and charlie were overheard by some classmates and friends at school talking about their frustrations these innocent conversations yeah they stopped giving me that look he's like yeah i can see that because i know, what I know where you're going with it <laughs> <laughs> so these innocent conversations soon turned dark when erin made it clear that she felt that the only way they could be together was if they was to kill her parents her reasoning behind this was that if she ran away with him when she hit 17, which was the plan, they would look for her. The only way that they could be together without any issues was to remove their her parents altogether. So they weren't a concern at all. Right. Charlie brought up the idea that maybe if he was just to get her pregnant, this is the this is the this is the minds of 16 and 18 year olds guys. If he was to get her pregnant, that would suffice and they would be able to accept him. You know, then she they're not gonna make her terminate or anything like that. They're heavy religious, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have to accept him in his eyes. This is what he's thinking. But Erin was adamant that she was too young to have a baby, she was too young to be a mother, that wasn't an option.
1: But she'd and, rather be a killer than a mother.
0: Well, yeah. I know. Erin <laughs> had ultimately made her mind up on what she thought needed to happen. A student who knew the couple stated in an interview that, quote, she had him around her finger pretty much. She could get him to do whatever she wanted. She asked for something and she got it. On the 21st of February, Terry went to visit his father at his home. When he couldn't get hold of him, he made his way kind of inside and he discovered that his dad had died of a heart attack. He didn't have kind of much of a funeral fund, so they decided they'd pull everything that they had to give him the funeral that he deserved, which I think is very, very nice thing. At the service, the family did a rendition of Amazing Grace, but Erin was clearly underperforming, which was spotted by Rebecca, the pastor's wife. Her vocals would bring people in normally, and she was below par on this time, and she was completely... She was just half-arsed in it. She wasn't bothered, and she was they said that it it was bad her voice was bad and she was um overshadowed by her cousin who normally wasn't that great and she apparently was amazing <laughs> compared to Aaron so right. it shows how much her mind was totally somewhere else it yeah, wasn't on wasn't the performance yeah she wasn't with it yeah at but all. we
1: all get like that though don't we
0: yeah but it was it was it was very obvious to people that she wasn't the person she was say 6 months ago okay on the 27th of february Penny's sister told her that she needed to look at Charlie Wilkinson's MySpace profile. Good old MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? (laughs) It's old school. (laughs) She had discovered what he had been putting out there for the world to see, and she wasn't happy. She was disturbed, concerned, and very, very worried. He was talking about alcohol and sex, not the kind of stuff that the cafes agreed with. Terry and Penny both made the decision that the relationship needed to be over now for good. Erin's school grades had started to slip already, and in her eyes, everything was beginning to go downhill. The catalyst for all of this was Charlie. That's what they saw. The relationship with Charlie was the reason for all of this. Erin appeared to take this surprisingly well and actually admitted to them that she wanted to break up with him for a while, but she wasn't sure how to go about it. Doesn't sound true, does it? Doesn't ring true, that does, for how besotted she is with him. Afterwards, they all kind of went off a Bible study, Aaron promising to break up with Charlie immediately. At 12am, on Saturday the 1st of March 2008, Terry had just got home after a 14 hour shift. Exhausted, he warmed up his dinner, ate it straight away and went straight to bed. Passed out straight away. Everything was quiet in the home. Everyone was asleep, except for one person, Aaron. This was the night that Erin and Charlie had been scheming for weeks. Afterwards, they would be free to spend the rest of their lives together and get married without anyone being able to stop them. Once Terry had gone to sleep, Charlie Wilkinson, Charlie Wade, a 20-year-old hunting buddy of Charlie's, and his 18-year-old girlfriend, Bobby Johnson, drove to the home in Bobby's Dodge Neon with the intention of following through with their plans. Bobby wasn't kind of sure exactly on what was going on, but she insisted on tagging along this evening. Charlie Wade was fully complicit in the execution of the couple's plan, though. You may be asking, why on earth would a 20-year-old lad get mixed up in this? What does he have to gain out of all this? 20-year-old lad, why is he going to do this? He's got nothing against them. He's never met them before. I think he's only met Aaron a couple of times. What's he got to gain from all of this? Yeah. Well, Aaron and Charlie actually told them there was a lockbox in the house that had savings inside of it.
1: She's off the money or whatever. Yeah.
0: yeah. So they would basically give him two grand to go ahead with the plan. He desperately needed this money because he was actually fighting for custody of his four-month-old child at the time against his ex-wife. So he needed this cash. When they got to the cafe home between 1.30 and 1.50 a.m., Charlie got spooked because the family's black lab started barking and wouldn't stop, so they actually decided to leave. I mean, uh, they're probably hoping now that they just stayed gone at that point. Aaron called Charlie and told them to come back. She would stop the dog from barking, to which he agreed to pick her up from the end of her driveway. They drove around kind of aimlessly for the next hour. Bobby and Charlie both trying to convince Aaron to just reconsider this plan and just run away She didn't need to do this. They could just leave now. Erin had already planned and packed a bag with the intention of leaving anyway, so they just had to go and physically get it from her house. Yeah, they didn't need to go through with this. Wade turned the car around, driving back towards the cafe home. They parked at the end of the road, where Erin and Bobby would stay whilst the attack occurred. Bobby tried to leave, but Charlie told her that she was already involved. She might as well just stay now. This was planned that Charlie would kill Terry and Penny and Wade would kill Matthew and Tyler, Aaron's two younger brothers. What I find hard to understand is why her brothers.
1: I was about to say, yeah, the brothers ain't done nothing, have they?
0: Exactly. So they've done nothing to her. They had no reasoning, but it, I just, yeah, I don't understand. I'll go over it in a little bit. Why, why she did, but. They didn't do anything to her. They, they did absolutely nothing. Not they did not deserve any. Well, her parents didn't, but they didn't, especially didn't deserve it. Just before three a.m., the two walked into the home through the front door, which Aaron had left unlocked for them. They were armed with a twenty-two caliber gun and two samurai swords. They made their way quietly through the home towards Penny and Terry's first floor bedroom. They smashed the door open, waking Terry up instantly. The next thing Terry remembers was gunfire and he threw himself over his wife trying to protect her. But he was shot in the arms and in the face, which caused him to pass out in and out of consciousness. Penny had been shot multiple times in the attack, but she wasn't dead yet. The gun jammed and Charlie passed it to Wade to fix it because he didn't know how to unjam it. Wade then shot several more times at both Terry and Penny. They both left the room, but Charlie returned with the sword and said to her, die, bitch, die. This is when he started slashing at Penny's neck so viciously that he almost decapitated her. Matthew and Tyler, hearing the commotion, locked themselves in Erin's bedroom, terrified of what was going on. Charlie convinced them to go back to bed and Charlie and... Charlie and Wade followed them upstairs to their lofted bedroom. Matthew was heard shouting, Charlie, why are you doing this? Followed by, no, Charlie, no. Wade then shot Matthew in the head, knocking him to the ground instantly. Eight-year-old Tyler had hidden in the closet to try and escape the brutal attack, but they found him and he suffered multiple stab wounds to the back of his neck. Both Charlie and Wade inflicted these injuries, taking turns to stab him. Charlie grabbed Aaron's pre-packed bags and took it out to the car to her. She was quoted saying, I'm glad that's over. Hmm. Upon re-entering the home, they went to find the lockbox that Aaron had told them that they had money in. Once they located it, they opened it with the combination that Aaron gave them, but there was nowhere near as much money as they were made to believe there was in there, to the point where they even emptied Terry and Penny's wallets. And you won't believe how much they got. They got $375. All together? Yep. That's
1: fuck all, wasn't it? Two grand. Yeah. They promised.
0: Yeah, two grand. They then set about lighting the house on fire using soft furnishings, clothes, and bedding to encourage the spread before leaving the home. As they drove off, Aaron said, Holy shit, that was awesome. Hmm. Wade dropped Charlie and Aaron off at Charlie's mobile home, where they later had sex. After killing her parents, unknowingly to the group, Terry actually wasn't dead. He survived when the fire broke out. Call it sheer will to live, but Terry came around, noticing that his home was on fire. He managed to crawl around his wife to the bathroom window, which was the only accessible window, and once he got through it, he fell to the ground. Terry knew that if he managed to crawl to his neighbour's house at Helen and Tommy, they could call 911. But first, he had to make it the 500 yards to their home from his home. Right. This journey would end up taking him one hour. He crawled for an hour. He fell into a creek on his way, almost drowning you'll remember he's only wearing a t-shirt pajama bottoms no shoes one sock suffering five gunshot wounds one in the head two in his right shoulder and two more in his back and he's managed to survive this passing in and out of consciousness for an hour The call was made at just after 4.30am to Raines County Sheriff's Office and Officer Charles Dickerson went to the report of the shooting at the cafe home as the only officer on duty at that time. Remember, small community. Yeah, Yeah, there's only him on duty and the dispatcher. As he made his way to the address, he got closer and he noticed an orange glow in the distance, soon realising that this was the home he was actually called to. He radioed his dispatcher to mobilise the county's volunteer fire departments. The roof at this point had actually already started to buckle and soon just the foundation and ash was left behind. That's how hot this fire was. Officer Dickerson raced to the Gaston's house where Terry was trying to hang on long enough to tell them who was responsible for the death of his family. When he saw him there, there was so much blood that he couldn't actually ascertain where Terry had been shot. But Terry told him, they're all gone. Absolutely in hysterical tears at this point. He said, Charlie Wilkinson shot my family. So thank God he managed to actually say who was responsible for this. During the ambulance ride, it was feared that Terry might not actually make it. So Richard Alman, the sheriff's investigator, asked him as many questions as he could on the ride. He told him Charlie Wilkinson was his daughter's boyfriend, that he and his wife had recently demanded that Aaron stop seeing him. Charlie, that night, had broken into the house and shot Terry and his family as they slept. Ammon shared this information with Chief Deputy Kurt Fisher. He couldn't believe what he was hearing at this point. You go, you will remember, this is a small community, and he knew who Charlie Wilkinson yeah, was. Charlie Wilkinson had actually gone fishing and four-wheeling with his sons, with Deputy Fisher's sons. They were friends. And as far as he knew, he was actually a good kid. You know, he was a straight A student. He was really good. The community, being as small as it would, though, ended up playing a massive part in catching the killers quickly. Philip Fisher knew who Charlie was. And on his way to the crime scene, he'd actually seen Charlie's truck parked outside of Matthew Wade's mobile home. Matthew Wade is Charlie Wade's brother. So the accomplice's brother. He immediately made his way over there and he was let inside by an occupant in the house. He soon found Charlie lying on a mattress on the floor with a semi-automatic handgun next to him. He handcuffed Charlie, sat him outside on the porch and read him his Miranda rights. He asked him just a few simple questions. Were you involved in this, Charlie? He said, no, sir, I got drunk last night and passed out. As a deputy went back inside to get Charlie a shirt and some boots, he noticed blood spatter on his boots. He hadn't even tried to remove any evidence of what he'd done. He'd made no attempt in the slightest. He then was taken back to the county jail, where they obtained a search warrant immediately to search Wade's Mobile Home for any evidence. Whilst the search started, Deputy Emig found a purse in the living room which contained Erin Caffey's ID in. As he made his way into the bedroom that Charlie was found in, he pulled a sheet off the window to get some light into the room. He could see used shell cases on the floor. As he picked up a shirt, a used condom slipped out of it. That's how they know that they had sex when they went back. Why would you throw a used condom on the fucking floor? Fucking animals. (laughs) (laughs) As he made his way around the room, he lifted up a blanket off the floor near the wardrobe where he noticed some blonde hair was sticking out from under it, thinking it might be a doll's hair. He moved the hair aside. That's when he saw that it was actually Erin Caffey, the girl that he, the, whose ID he'd found. Yeah. He confirmed her name with Matthew Wade and he asked her how she got there. She just played dumbfounded, saying, I don't know where I am. Fisher asked her what had happened, to which she just simply replied, fire. They felt that she seemed kind of disorientated, so that she may have been drugged. They took her straight to the hospital for an examination and a drug test. Upon some coaxing from the officers, she told them that she was 14 years old. She kept telling them that she was 14 years old. Very, I don't know why she said that. She'd woke up in a house full of smoke and there was two guys with swords who told her to get down on the floor. Erin stated that she wasn't sure how she got to the mobile home, but she did remember trying to call her friend, Charlie, but couldn't get hold of him. Next thing she said she remembered was being given a drink that she thinks had something in it because she couldn't remember anything after that. She spent five hours in hospital. After five hours, her grandparents arrived visiting to kind of break the news to her that Terry, her dad, had actually survived.
1: A bit shit, up imagine Anton, her yeah. Terry.
0: Yeah, she must have known at this point that the jig was up and she was screwed. Yeah. You know, she must have known at this point. Her and her grandparents were offered an escort to the East Texas Medical Center where Terry was fighting for his life in the intensive care unit. They couldn't get one thing out of their minds, though. If Aaron was inside a house that was on fire, why didn't she smell smoke? Hmm. Weird, isn't it? Hmm. Whilst this was going on, Charlie Wilkinson was being interrogated by De- Detective Amon and Texas Ranger John Vance. Charlie was informed that a victim had survived the attack and had identified him as one of the attackers. Throughout the early hours in the morning, And into the afternoon, Charlie slowly filtered out everything that they had done, who was involved, and to what extent each of them were involved. Bobby Johnson was soon arrested at her place of work, and Charlie Wade was arrested when they actually pulled him over in his car at the side of the road. Bobby admitted what had happened as soon as she was made aware that the boys had been arrested, but Wade didn't succumb to interrogation as quickly. It took Amon a little while to break in with his line of questioning, but when he did, all the details matched between Charlie Wilkinson and Bobby Johnson's version of events. So all three of them were matching up completely. The only ones that didn't, surprise, surprise, was Erin's. Erin had wanted both of her parents dead. According to her, her two brothers needed to die because they picked on her, and she didn't want them to go into foster care.
1: So I should have thought it would be easier just to kill him.
0: That was her reasoning, yeah. That was her f- That was her messed up, messed up reasoning was because they picked on her sometimes. Yeah,
1: but siblings are always fighting. I'm yeah. in age, you know what I mean? Don't mean you got to kill each other.
0: Didn't want her to go into foster care. Well, first of all, they've got grandparents, so they wouldn't anyway. But yeah. They, t- yeah. Try and get your head around that. All three of them were then held on charges of capital murder. They had everyone in custody apart from what seemed to be the instigator of the entire attack of her family. Luckily for them, though, she was still being driven to the hospital to see her dad along with her grandparents, whilst Chief Sanders and Deputy Booth escorted them there. The cars were pulled over and they had the arduous task of informing Virginia Daly, who was Erin's grandmother, that Erin had just been implicated in the attack on her family as she would be arrested. Virginia snapped at Erin, grabbing her face and demanding to know if she had any part of it, which, in usual Erin fashion, she denied and said, no, no, I didn't have anything to do with it. Due to Erin's age, only being 16, she couldn't be taken to the Sheriff's Office with her fellow conspirators, so she was actually taken to the Justice of the Peace and she she was asked if she would speak to investigators willingly. She declined. She refused to speak to them. But she did write a statement, which vaguely kind of stated that there was smoke, strangers of sword. She couldn't remember much else. Luckily, though, for the officers, Erin's blood test came back and they showed that she had no drugs in her system. So there's no way that she'd been drugged at all. Right. Erin was held on three counts of capital murder and she was taken to the Greenville Juvenile Detention Centre. Back at the hospital, after being told just an hour and a half earlier that his daughter had survived, being absolutely elated that his daughter had survived, and at least him and his daughter survived this whole massive ordeal, the news had to be broken to him by his sister that his daughter was actually implicated in the attempted murder of him and the actual murder of his wife and her two little brothers. I mean, he just broke down hysterical, which you can't even imagine that, can you? The little bit of hope that you had just being ripped away from you.
1: Must be hard on him, do you know what I mean? He's, yeah. lo- he's lost everyone, and not he, now, Everybody, yeah. yeah.
0: Terry spent the next few days in hospital trying to recover, Um, and upon release, he was actually sent to his sister's home. But he was a broken man. He was yeah, completely broken. I think broken.
1: anyone would be, though, wouldn't they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. world has been tipped upside down. Everyone's been taken away
0: yeah. to find out
1: it's your... Your, your daughter that's done it
0: yeah i mean luckily we've got some insight into how terry was feeling because he actually did give um he did give not even interviews but he did um a statement for this article which i'll link in all of our sources um and he said quote i laid on my sister's couch for a few days and that's when the despair hit me i decided that i was going to go back to my property and end my life I was going to lay down and shoot myself right there on the spot where I lost my family. I wanted to die where they died. And then I decided, no, there's been enough bloodshed. I'm going to take all the pill, pain pills they gave me and all the depression medication, the Xanax, everything. Drink me a bottle of gin bean, put a hose in the tailpipe of my daughter's pickup, run it up to the window and just fall asleep and not wake up again. So two or three days I pondered on this. Somebody bought me a Bible and told me to read the book of Job. Well, I'd read the story countless times before, but I read it again, and it was almost like that I was there with Job. He lost everything, his whole family, all his worldly possessions, but he did not lose his faith, and God blessed him doubtly. That turned me around and got me to thinking that God might have a plan for me, He didn't bring me through all this for nothing. I went back to our property and as soon as I was better, there was nothing left but the subfloor and the metal roof. I spent days out there picking through the ashes. I would get on my hands and knees and just dig. I didn't find much, a Hot Wheels car, a broken ceramic cup, a horseshoe shaped belt buckle that the kids gave me for Christmas. I ended up buying me an RV and I moved back up onto the land. Everybody said I was crazy for going back, but it brought me healing. I put my RV right on the spot where my house once stood and I stayed out there for four months. I was so stubborn. I thought, I'll be darned if anybody is going to run me off my property. When I leave, it will be when I'm ready and when God's ready for me to leave. Some nights it was pitch black. By the time I got home, I had to pick up the courage to get out of the car and I bought me a nine millimetre pistol and I slept with it beside me. End quote. So hopefully that gives you some insight into how he was feeling and what he was kind of going through after the events of this all. Postmortems, this this broke my heart when I read this, postmortems on Penny, Tyler and Matthew showed all three had smoke in their lungs, which only indicates one thing that they were still clinging onto life when the house was set on fire. So they
1: died by the smoke, basically. Smoke, yeah. yeah,
0: That was what finished them. Um, They they were all... It might have been just... They might have just been alive, but enough that there was smoke in their lungs. They might have been slightly breathing. I think that broke my heart when I read that. It was horrific. Terry regularly visited Erin in the unit where she was being held, but due to conversations obviously being recorded, they didn't discuss the crime. But on one occasion, heartbreakingly, he asked Aaron, were me and your mum good parents? Yeah. So sad, and not it? Mm. She said, yeah. Yeah, you were the best. Lisa Tanner was the prosecutor and she had a big ask on her hands. Four people were being charged with capital murder and one of them was a juvenile. Her first call was to get Aaron Kathy classified as an adult This would mean that if she was found guilty, she could be given life without parole at the sentencing phase. Luckily, she was successful in this because her dad actually agreed that she did need to face the punishment. Yeah, of course. You know, as Uh. an adult. Terry supported his daughter throughout every court appearance holding her hand. The death penalty was actually taken off the cards for both Wade and Wilkinson when Terry sent a very convincing letter to the DA stating that, quote... I want them in this lifetime to have a chance to rem- for remorse and to come to a place for repentance for what they have done. Killing them will not bring my family back. Very forgiving man, Terry is. I don't think I could be as big of a man as he was if someone had no, done that to me. Got,
1: now you got to live with it, though. Now they've got to live with that yeah. guilt for the rest of the time.
0: Wade had none. Wade yeah. didn't give a shit. No. Wade had no... He had nothing in him at
1: all. You think you. Bobby did
0: and Wilkinson did. He spoke to the Forgiveness Project, which is where I read the article from. Um, And he said that when the attorneys told me they wanted the death penalty, I prayed again and I asked, What would Jesus do? I believe he would have spared their life. So I wrote letters and protested to the headquarters of the attorney general offices, asking them to spare the boys' lives. They were shocked and asked me why. He said, I want them to wake up every day and think about what they took and hopefully one day they will find remorse in their hearts. I want people to draw goodness from all of this. All four would offer plea deals in which they agreed to plead guilty. Bobby Johnson pled guilty to being an accomplice who did not use a weapon. At the sentencing phase, Terry stood to address Wilkinson. He said, Charlie Wilkinson. I want to say to you today, I forgive you, not so much for your sake, but for my own. I refuse to grow into a bitter old man. If I want to heal and move on, I must find forgiveness in my heart. And that has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do because you took so much from me. End quote. Charlie Wilkinson had another charge popped onto his sentencing, as on the 25th of March, he decided to dig a hole in his wall of his cell to try and escape yeah so he had another charge whacked onto his sentence shier shank yeah <laughs> sure shank, but... shank redemption yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in october of 2008 charlie wilkinson and charlie wade were both sentenced to life in prison without par- without any possibility of parole wilkinson is spending his sentence in durrington prison in texas Aaron was sentenced to life and will be eligible to apply for parole after serving a minimum of 40 years. She'll be about 59 at that age. Bobby Johnson received 40 years in which she can apply for parole after serving a minimum of 20. She will be 40 years old at that age. It's widely accepted and believed that Erin plotted the crime, but her dad can't bring himself to believe that. He lost so much already, it seems, and for him, he cannot give up on his daughter as well came out in trial that Erin had previously asked a boyfriend to kill her parents. So do you remember the guy that she was caught falling around with outside the church? Yeah. Yeah. He, she said basically, can you kill my parents? He refused. So take that from what you will, but the common denominator in all of this seems to be Erin Caffey. Yeah. And repeatedly changed her story. She told different stories over time. She told her dad that she was planning on running away that night, but then she changed her mind. The phone calls were to dissuade Charlie from coming over at all. It was all Charlie, the one is her family dead. And when he came to the house, she was powerless to stop him. She told Israel Lewis, who was the mental health counsellor hired by the defence team to evaluate Aaron, Erin insisted that Charlie had a volatile temper. He had killed her family after she had broken up with him and then framed her. I have worked with some good liars, but Erin was one of the best. She seemed totally sincere and genuine, and I would have put my license on the line to say that she was telling me the truth. She spoke to me with tears in her eyes, saying, God will save me. He knows I'm innocent. I cried every time I left her jail cell. You could not have paid her to say anything negative about her parents. End quote. The scary thing about this all, though, was that when he went to go and check the investigation and look into the details of the investigation, he then realised that Aaron had actually been playing him too. Yeah. A professional counsellor. So it shows how much of a good manipulator she is. Terry does the journey once a month to visit Erin while she serves her time in a high-security prison in Gatesville, Texas. Terry, thankfully, met later on met a lady called Sonia Webb, who he married, and he became stepdad to her two sons, Blake and Tanner. Um, From what I did find, though, they ended up actually getting divorced down the line, and he remarried again. A little bit of a dodgy thing, but... I, from what I found, he ended up marrying his second cousin.
1: Keep it in the family, and as they say, is it? Yeah.
0: I mean, <laughs> I don't know what legalities... I'm assume, I don't think it's that
1: bad. Is it second cousin? It's not. I
0: don't know. It, I think first cousin's illegal. legal. Yeah. Well, I know in the UK it's illegal. Um, second cousin, I don't think it is, maybe. But, yeah, from what I could find, I couldn't find anything more on that. But there was a big stigma around that, I know. Right. Um, but I'm not going to comment on that. You know, he does. He he can do whatever he wants to do. He's been through fucking hell. So, do whatever you need to do. You know, he now travels around the country preaching about forgiveness. Um, I mean, he's got a fucking award in this area, Annie. <laughs> I mean, there's not many people in this world that could do that. What do you think the reasons he's done that? Do you reckon it's his faith? Do you think it's self protection because of what happened to protect himself? What do you think?
1: I think it's his faith. You know, he's a massive strong believer, When he?
0: I agree. I think this is why I said religion is going to be a big thing in this case. Yeah.
1: And it did. I think and that's why he's managed to forgive everyone and, and try to move on with it. Um,
0: yeah. No, I agree. So it's a lot
1: to move on from. But, yeah. It's he, a hell it, of a lot to move on from, yeah. But they say it's best to forgive. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, it's just going to constantly...
0: It's going to destroy you. Yeah. You don't destroy them by not forgiving. You destroy no, yourself. A... You don't, don't think he's even forgiven... I don't think he's even forgiven the them. I think he's forgiven them. I don't think he's forgiven the act of what they did. But yeah, forgive
1: but never forget kind of thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: but yeah, that was it was a really really hard one this week's was. So that's today's episode for you. Um, Really horrific to research this one was. I'll be honest with you, it was horrible to read. I mean, the good thing is is that the the statements and the articles that Terry spoke in were really, really it just showed that, you know, matter what you go through, we can all we all have the capability to forgive, no matter how extreme.
1: It's just hard to forgive though, isn't it? Do you know mate? Especially when you've gone through that Yeah. You know, and knowing it's your daughter. Well he doesn't believe it's his daughter, does he?
0: So, okay. I watched the articles of Dr. Phil and I watched the article with Piers Morgan and um, watched the documentary, sorry. And I'll tell you now. So she never gave any... Um, she was never interviewed. Right. Because of her age, she couldn't be. So the only interview she had and she was kind of questioned and interrogated was by Dr. Phil and Piers Morgan. They did go at her hard... Um, and she sat there the entire time, like a child. Yeah. And she was—I think she was 24 at these interviews. Um, she sat there with her head down, the blankest expression on her face. And I'm just saying my opinion. She didn't. You can go and look. You can go and look at these documentaries and watch her facial expressions. There's there's three four minute clips on YouTube about them, so you don't have to watch the whole 44 minute interview. Um. And she doesn't look interested. She doesn't look like she gives two shits. She doesn't look at all like she's bothered. No, she probably ain't. That she's killed her brothers. Well, she had a hand in killing her brothers and her mum and nearly killing her dad. And I don't know. She changes her mind so many times in it. And again, you know, you can take from the information that I've supplied with you today what you want from this whether what you believe her but if you want to have a little bit more look into it go and watch the clips of her on Dr Phil and on Piers Morgan because I'll tell you it will it will cement your opinion on this it definitely cemented my opinion on how I felt and I know what I feel about it you know I do genuinely think that she was the instigator to all of it I think she wanted to end her parents, and I think she's very, very manipulative. I did watch one little clip where um, this lady interviewed her, and when she walked out of the interview, she said that she feels like she just met the devil. Right. Because behind her eyes, she said she was one person. She said, and then when she went to walk out and she asked her a question, she said she just switched. She went, and something behind her eyes just turned. And it was you know how are you capable of that are you capable of of that from being born because she was she was brought up in a you know she was brought up in a very good household she was looked after she was she had everything that she could have you know she was supported she had love she had family around her she had all those things she didn't want
1: that though did she and when you coop up something long enough it's only a matter of time
0: yeah but know? then i think it, it i think that would then put you back to nature or nurture, wouldn't it we, you always you oh, could yeah. always have that argument yeah, about you know this this i would say would go very much for nature you know she was born like that potentially but uh, i don't know i mean
1: say you were born like that like i said she, she had a good up upbringing but, but
0: she was always going to Turn out like that. If well, it wasn't one, it would be another.
1: Yeah, but you could say that about, it, about anything, couldn't you? Do you know what I mean? It only started when she what was 15, 16, fell in love, and you she started. Parents started taking things away from her, enclosing her, stripping, stri- stripping her from ev- everything. But then it happened imagine with that lad in church. Yeah, but imagine if that someone done that to you. So, where We started starting stripping you things, and you started then have dropping. No, you I off under, here. I
0: understand where you're coming from, but I, I think the majority of people would not go
1: to that extreme. No, not go to that extreme, but you know, obviously there was a switch and it's just gone like, you could say love, love is blind at that age. As we all know, yeah. you know, so yeah, it has went a little bit extreme, but
0: a little bit. Well,
1: yeah. You know, but what can you say? Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I don't know. What, do, what do you all think about it? I mean, go and, go and watch the, if you can, even just the three minute clips of um the Piers Morgan or the Dr. Phil, Um, And you can see what kind of how she comes across and you can make your own opinions. You know, we encourage you to make your own opinions on this. This is definitely one of those episodes where go make your your own opinions with the information I've given you, what you can find. And, you know, have a look into yourself, guys. Thank you very much for listening in to us today. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we will put all the information all of our sources and stuff on our show notes as normal like we always do Um, and I will link down our email address if you want to send us um, any anything if you want to give us any reviews or on iTunes or Spotify or anything like that that's super super helpful you can find us on our Instagram we have just started a Facebook profile as well so we are now on Facebook Um, where we upload our kind of weekly weekly reels. So thank you all for listening and we will see you guys in two weeks. Have a nice couple of weeks, guys, and we'll speak to you guys then. Thank you. bye. Bye.